made a podcast for a while, but I'm back this month. Um, and today I want to talk to you about um, living to age and aging to live. We're really good at prolonging life, but we're not very good at making the most of that extra time. And I just want to touch on um, last month, a 95-year-old woman with dementia died in hospital after being tasered by police in an aged care facility. Her name was Claire Noland. Claire suffered from dementia and was receiving end-of-life care in the aged care facility and weighed only 43 kilos. In 2008, Claire shattered the limits of what was expected, embracing life with unwavering determination. Filmed by the ABC, she fearlessly marked her 80th birthday by plunging into the open skies with a skydive. She was still really in her prime. So this tragic occurrence prompted me to write about what I've been reading for most of the year, which is the aging brain. I was initially seeking ways to rewire my own brain and stumbled upon um, the concept of neuroplasticity when I was reading about that, which is pretty much the brain's really remarkable ability to adapt and reorganize itself. So for centuries, we believed our brains peaked at 18 and pretty much deteriorated by 25, really disregarding neuroplasticity as um, more of a childhood phenomenon. This belief system has really influenced our current societal structure. So, you know, at four, we start school and we absorb knowledge like a sponge and we have meltdowns over the crust being left on our Vegemite sandwiches. And then at 18, we face a test that determines whether we're destined for brilliance or mediocrity while navigating careers and also Macca's drive through runs once we get our license. But fast forward to 25 and society really expects us to have it all figured out. Career, ladder climbing, a multi-million dollar mortgage for a one-bedroom apartment and marriage to someone you met on the Barcelona Contiki tour and baby plans. By 25, we're supposed to have our shit sorted. Um, the brain has essentially explored its limits by then according to, I guess, old ways of thinking about the brain. It is what it is, um, but when I was 25, I used to play a game with my mate to see who could do the most vodka shots in one night. And on my 25th birthday, I somehow cut my hand open on the filthy floor of Cherry Bar after doing all these vodka shots. So if we're saying that this is where my brain peaked and that my shit was meant to be sorted by then, I'd be pretty worried. What I will say is that this is when my brain learned when it felt, what it felt like to get a tetanus shot directly into an open wound, which um, inevitably is no good. But there is good news for society and for people like me. Um, our understanding of neuroplasticity has advanced significantly in the last 20 years. It's now widely accepted that the brain remains flexible throughout our lives, um, though it is more so, I guess, in our youth. But really the brain's ability to change um, in response to experiences is really, really high when we're young, but that neuroplasticity doesn't disappear. It just requires more of a conscious effort as we age. And so our improved understanding of neuroplasticity means that anyone can learn Anyone can rewire their brain and anyone can achieve really remarkable medical transformations. So digging more into neuroplasticity and our understanding of it has enabled people like Maura Lieb, who had half her brain removed in surgery, to rewrite the remaining half to function as a full brain. And um, another lady named Linda 
Radistar, she was a stroke survivor. Um, she learned how to rewire her brain and essentially regain the ability to speak and walk after doctors told her that she wouldn't be able to. So just seeing that, um, I started to think about the existence of neuroplasticity in old age. Um, and it really the fact that it does exist really emphasizes the need for nurturing environments that promote the well-being of older adults. Especially because our lifespan is expanding. Australia ranks third globally in life expectancy um, with an average lifespan of at least 84 years old. So um, this is really high when you consider back in like the 1800s. Um, peak life expectancy was 10, which is pretty grim, but now we're at 84. So we're really good at prolonging life, but we're not very good at making the most of that extra time. Despite ranking third in the um, world for global life expectancy, Australia does have the highest percentage of older individuals living in institutional care, with 20% of people over 80 residing in aged care facilities. So to be honest, though, I'm not really surprised by these numbers. If you've ever spent some time in Spain or Korea, you'll see senior citizens everywhere just living their best life. They can be seen actively participating in various activities, um, such as walking with their grandkids, they'll be socialising in senior citizen playgrounds or commuting to the market on the bus. This way of living is really deeply ingrained in their respective cultures um, and that is because there is a lot of multi-generational living that occurs. Um, it also occurs in my culture. I'm half Greek and I had it pretty drummed into me early on that um, if I planned on buying a house, my dad would need a house at the back to live into. It's just what we do. Growing up, all my Greek and Italian mates had Yaya, Papu, Nonna and Nonno living out the back and they were like making biscuits, drinking coffee, growing tomatoes and absolutely owning a tavoli. So really closing out life the way you should, surrounded by your family and life's simple pleasures. Um, yeah, so other cultures don't really seem to leave their elderly in homes like we do in Australia, which is really out of sight and out of mind. And neuroplasticity is also linked to dementia, which is the second leading cause of death and affects two-thirds of aged care residents in Australia. While neuroplasticity cannot completely prevent or reverse dementia, early intervention can slow its pro progression and improve cognitive function. This is because the brain operates on a use it or lose it principle where actively engaging and stimulating specific areas helps maintain their health and connectivity. Neglecting parts of the brain can lead to degeneration and challenges in reactivating those neural connections that they've worked hard to make. So when you place seniors in care homes or aged care homes, it really accelerates this use it or lose it process because they often spend significant time isolated in their rooms with limited social interaction. There was a study done by The Conversation in 2022 that did find that um, seniors in aged care homes spend around 40 to 50% of their time alone in their rooms. So it's a very real thing, this social isolation and limited social interaction. But socialising does play a vital role in stimulating attention and memory and reinforcing neural networks. Loneliness itself increases the risk of dementia by 40%. So it's really crucial to prioritise mental stimulation and foster social connections and caring for seniors to improve their overall, overall well-being. This requires a shift in perception and some reinvention. So I just want to start with the idea of um, shifting perceptions. Age is a privilege and we really need to see it as that. 
but our culture sees it more as a burden. To live or to age is to live and to live is to age. But popular media portrays a really different narrative. Only 11% of film characters in any given year are over 65 and only 2% of them are the main character. So when these older characters are main characters and they are portrayed in films, they're often depicted as frail or senile, perpetuating the notion that they are no longer healthy and they are a burden on everyone else around them. So popular media pretty much says that you're as good as dead if you're over 65. And um, I've mentioned some films that um, have over 65s as the main characters. Um, Gran Torino is one, which is a film with Clint Eastwood. Um, he's like an ex-military guy that, um, yeah, goes on this very long journey combating himself and his internalized racism. Um, also a man named, or a man called O, which is a Swedish film. I think Tom Hanks did a remake, but I wouldn't bother watching that one. The the Swedish film is pretty good. Um, that's about an old man again, who is struggling with his own internalized racism. And then still Alice, um, which has Julian Moore in it. Um, and she plays an over 65 year old lady that is um, suffering from dementia. So as you can see, all these people in these core movies with over 65 year olds um, have either really racist views or they have really age related diseases that hinder their ability to live fulfilling lives. They also, um, all the characters in this film, because of their age, they are portrayed as being the only things in the way of themselves as well. Um, that being their age is the thing that's holding them back. So, um, yeah, but if you want to go deeper down the sadness hole, I really recommend, um, getting into that really dank European cinema. Uh, there's a film called Amor, which is a Michael Haneke movie, Need I Say More? It's very dark. And then also another film called Vortex, um, which is a film by Gaspar Noe. Um, if you've ever watched any of his films, tread into this abyss carefully if you want to go into it um but yeah if you do watch either of those curse me later but um what if we could just not look old though what would that help with aging so i did some google trend research um on the terms anti-aging product and um botox so we can see over the last well since 2004 um long-term search trends for both of those searches are on an upward trajectory um and then if, um, if you go into the um, actual article, you'll see that that red Botox line is just climbing, climbing, climbing at exponential heights. Um, it goes as high as the latest cast of Maths Unmovable Eyebrows. So apparently aging is the worst thing that can happen to us when you look at these types of things. We really hit our prime the minute we emerge from the womb and any time beyond that um, essentially requires fillers. So now I just want to touch on reinvention. Um, Valuing aging as a privilege really means prioritizing spaces for old adults to explore and grow, similar to how we do for children. So a lot of our, I guess, public spaces and our digital spaces um, have catered around that neuroplasticity for children and trying to get them to learn more at a high frequency and experience a lot more. But uh, we don't really do that for um, aging adults Um, especially those um, that are 65 and over. So really embracing the neuroplasticity of the aging brain, which we know exists, really requires reinventing our cities and shifting the focus of digital applications toward promoting that brain flexibility rather than addiction. 
Um, so to really maximize neuroplasticity, digital products start to need to start removing exploitative features that they use to keep people addicted and hooked and start using a closed loop system. So if we think of like an addictive um, digital design, uh, we could talk about TikTok. TikTok is, um, you know, it's short form, sound on. It's just a, the way that you scroll the screen. Each video is full screen. So it just prompts you to keep on scrolling and go into a doom scroll. That is what we would call addictive design. And it's not really built to, I guess, um, enhance cognitive function. It's literally there to give it a quick dopamine hit and get people to stay inside the app. Um, so to really maximize neuroplasticity, apps would essentially have to remove that stickiness and that addictiveness, which means that they're probably not going to get make money. So there's a really um, big sort of like paradox there, I guess. Um, but if we used closed loop systems in apps, um, it would find the right balance of engagement and avoid the excessive rewards or dopamine hits that are really that actually have really low cognitive engagement. Um, in order to optimize cognitive enhancement and neuroplasticity. So the way that a closed loop intervention would work or a closed loop system would work is that um, say if you're playing a game, um, your, how you're going in it is recorded in real time within that app. And then the app adjusts as you're going through based on your performance, but it doesn't make it any harder for you to get um, a prize or any easier for you to get a prize. It just sort of records how well you're doing in the game and adapts to that level. Um, and then basically it builds to keep stimulating you and stimulating the way that you can navigate through the game um, and personalizing it to, I guess, how it can see that you're challenging and continue to make sort of the reward um, you getting through the challenge. So that's what a closed loop intervention would look like in a um, app which you can see or like hear that it's very different to I guess like a social media app where yeah there's no adjustment to how much you're getting addicted or how you're feeling it's literally built to just keep giving you dopamine hit after dopamine hit after dopamine hit with no meaning behind it um, and quite low engagement too which is funny because in media we talk about like some apps being high engagement um, but I would argue that no social media apps are actually high engagement you're literally just doom scrolling um, and it's a very passive, low engagement um, sort of activity for the brain. But um, luckily, there are dedicated legends creating these types of products, these closed loop high engagement products that are really good for the brain. Um, and I've chucked a couple of examples in. The first one I want to talk about is geocaching. Um, I actually have this app on my phone. It's, it's really good, but um, it has been used a lot um, around the world for seniors who are aging in place. So um, I guess ones that live in like more of those residential closed communities um, and it helps them by um, getting them out into the neighborhood um, and getting them to use their physical skills and their mental skills to find a geocache. Now a geocache is pretty much um, some a little like trinket that gets hidden by a community around the world um, and it's a, G a GPS based activity. So basically you log into that app and it will show you if there's a geocation around you and it gives you some clues of what it could be and then you have to go and find it. Um, and it's a really good way for seniors to explore their surroundings. It's really safe. Um, also, they can go with new people. There's lots of um, geocaching meetup groups as well. And it also really enhances that cognitive fitness because they're out and about doing something, but they're also trying to solve a puzzle at the same time. 
Um, another example is Labyrinth VR, which um, UC San Francisco's Neuroscape section um, created this. It's a VR game for seniors where um, they wear a head-mounted display, so like I guess a VR headset. Um, they complete different tasks in different neighbourhoods. So um, and there's 42 levels of neighbourhoods and they increase with complexity um, as they go on. Um, some of the tasks can be like, you know, go buy a meat pie from the milk bar, that kind of thing. But um, basically the game involves physical movement. They have to move around while they're going on these neighborhood walks and it improves their, um, the blood flow to the brain, but also um, the co cognitive performance as well of the brain because they're using their whole body to get to these tasks. And research has shown that this game in particular does enhance high fidelity memory and the ability to distinguish new objects from similar ones. Um, so it has a really positive effect on seniors' long-term memory. And if um, identified early on, if dementia is identified early on, this is one of the um, games that they use to try and offset that for as long as possible, and it has been proven to work. Um, another really cool one, which I wish we had in Melbourne, um, is Access Map Seattle. So um, elderly citizens already use mobile phones and connected devices, including Apple Watches. I've seen a lot of um, aged people wearing them to get around the city. They use them just like us, wild but true. Um, but in Seattle in particular, the data from these devices is used to create an access map for elderly citizens. Um, and it includes details on, um, you know, how steep um, is a path. Um, what kind of access does that path have, the location of toilets nearby, water fountains, shaded areas, public benches, senior meal sites, um, things like that, places where they can go and rest but also where they can feel safe and it's not too hard. And it's basically a map layer that goes over the general map and they can access it and um, get find their way around a lot easier. And it's all built off um, the data of elderly citizens, which I think is really cool. Um, and then probably my favorite one in is Veteran Poolen, which is from Sweden. Veteran Poolen is basically air tasker, but it connects you with individuals who are retired and um, are capable of doing odd jobs and just want to, you know, kind of stay active in their community. Um, there was a research piece that went out in Sweden that said that um, a lot of retired people in Sweden are actually really able-bodied. Um, they retire because they can and it's their time, but um, they actually are perfectly fine to keep on working and they kind of miss work because it was their ability to feel useful and um, connect with other people in the community. So this app allows them to do that and it's actually really popular. I think it's more popular in Air than Airtasker is in Sweden. But um, yeah, you just book in um, someone to come help you with something and it's um, a retired person that wants to chat. Um, so it'd be really cool like if you imagine spending a cute day with a retired gardener learning all their knowledge about planting veggies and then having a cup of tea when you're done would be super cute so that's my favorite one um, but as you can see all these solutions really focus on connecting aged citizens to the real world and reimagining um, what an age-friendly public space can look like um, so through the meaningful application of technology especially um, these solutions really foster meaningful connections within society so they're not build-ons onto a social media app they have nothing to do I guess with what we currently use because all those systems um, are addictive design systems these are all really closed loop systems so it's really important to challenge this misguided belief that the brain deteriorates with age in reality, each day presents new opportunities for our brains to thrive. 
And I don't want to spend my final days in the metaverse having to scroll through a Roblox experience just to catch a ride to a fake library in a digital Balenciaga hoodie. I want to spend it in the real world, making shit jokes with my mates, in a self-driving car on the way to the library. And I want to read a real book before I go off and meet some friends at the park and walk my real dog. And I want to keep enjoying the world and the people that I find in it and the meaning that I place in it as well. So um, I just want to say Vale, Claire, Nolan, and may we all find ourselves aging to live. Thank you. Thank you.